0: Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you are our king. You have rescued us. You have saved us. You have brought us into your kingdom. You are so, so, so amazing. And we're so excited to belong to you. And I pray that these truths that we're going to share tonight, they would find their way in our hearts and they would change who we are and we would have a bigger picture of you a bigger glimpse of who you are, not a glimpse, Lord. We want to know you. And I pray that as we talk tonight, we would know you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay, so we are going to take a journey through the book of Matthew. And you are going to start to see a little theme. So I'm going to start and um, here we go. Starting in Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, the Bible says, Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So this is John the Baptist saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's Matthew 3, 1 and 2. So John the Baptist's message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven of heaven is at hand. It's, In other words, it's right around the corner. Like, you know how you do... Um, oh, <laughs> oh. I keep thinking of the word spoilers, and that's not the right word. When you, you see the previews for movie trailers, and you know those movie trailers? So John the Baptist was the movie trailer for Jesus, and he was basically showing them, Martha and Hosanna, showing them what to expect, what was to come. And so he said, what's to come, what's to come is the kingdom. And so that's what he did. That's what John the Baptist did. And he was the forerunner. John was the best man of the bridegroom. And his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is very near. It's very close. When Jesus was tempted... In Matthew 4, 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And so Satan Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms he could have but did not have. Or so he thought. We'll find out more about that later. But he he showed him all the kingdoms, and he said, look, you can have all this, and, um, and I thought that was interesting that that was his temptation, other kingdoms. So anyway, um, Jesus was offered all the kingdoms of the world. He turned them down. And I do want you to know that there has been a clash of two kingdoms from the very beginning since Genesis 3. It came to a head again in um, the Tower of Babel. And very interestingly, and if you're interested in this, I actually did a talk on on this on my finish on our radio show, and it's um, called "When Kingdoms Collide." But it basically, in the talk, I show how from um, how Babylon and the truths, the untruths that were believed at Babylon, and the things that they did, they were carried out as people left Babel and they went to other places, they were carried out, and you can see similarities throughout time in history in both architecture and in uh, worship of demons and unbelief, and it's very, very interesting. So um, since that time, there there has been um, the kingdom of darkness, and um, one of the things that I really think is that when, um, you know, in the very beginning, before the flood, Jesus um, God says that he is sad that he even made man. And I think that after Satan, you know, um, tempted Eve, and there was the first murder and all that, I think men became progressively more and more evil and really gave themselves over to being demonized. So that um, the Bible says the intention every intention of their heart was evil. Like, that. that's not what we see today. Like, we see good intentions. But there was just such a giving over to the kingdom of darkness. And um, And so, anyway, just kind of interesting. And so, the kingdoms collided in the garden. They collided at Babel. And especially the kingdoms collided at the cross. So, you see these two kingdoms. So... Um, in Ephesians 2, um, there, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And I'm just going to encourage you, if you're interested in being more effective in sharing the gospel, I would memorize that. The, there are just 10 little verses, Ephesians 2. It's just kind of the gospel in a nutshell. And if you want to look at this later, if you look at Ephesians 2, you will see this this transfer from one kingdom to another kingdom. And he says, you were once in this darkness, this kingdom of darkness, but now you have been transferred to the kingdom of the Son you love. So there's this transfer of kingdoms. And it's very interesting that God puts it that way. And um, we're going to talk about some things to do with kingdoms and kings because we're not a kingdom. The United States is not a kingdom. It's actually a republic with people pulling it straight toward democracy and then some old stalwarts trying to hold it back. But um, there's a lot of kingdoms on the earth. They're called kingdoms, and they're very different from republics or democracies. So, um, okay. When Jesus began his ministry, he preached the kingdom. It says that Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So when he gave his Sermon on the Mount, he used the kingdom as a reward or blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew five three. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, Jesus, if you if it's really fun to do that, to just read through, like read through the gospels and just circle every time you see the word kingdom, because especially I think as Americans we don't really get it. You know, um, we're it's just very different, like I said, a kingdom than a republic, and so we don't feel the weight of that. But Jesus is constantly talking about his kingdom. His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. And, you know, if you're poor in spirit, if you are being persecuted for the sake of righteousness, then you will be rewarded with this kingdom. He also talks about greatness in the kingdom. So, you know, there's like the kingdom of, you know, in a kingdom like Norway or England um, or Denmark, they have kings, they have royal families, and there's crown princes, and there's nobles, and there's different people, and you have different standings in the kingdom of God. And it says this, he says, Whoever then annuls, this is Matthew 5, 19-20, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of God. But whoever teaches keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's very interesting um, when you think about law and you think about, um, you know, keeping the law, because when Jesus came, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm not here to abolish the law, but I think he wanted us to understand what he was looking for, this righteousness of the kingdom. The kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of love, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. And so we have this standard of righteousness that isn't an external standard, but it's an internal standard that flows out from who we are. And it's like the law of the kingdom of God isn't like our laws it's so different. You know, it's not like we can get a lawyer in the kingdom of God. Well, we do have a lawyer. But it's not like we can get a lawyer to say, okay, you know, Madeline can get away with this bad attitude. She can get away with this, um, you know, worry because of this, this, and this. But God says, no, I've given you my peace to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So it's like his law is surpassing and it's not... You know, we're so used to when we think of the laws of the kingdom, we're so used to thinking of how we can wiggle our way out of stuff because it's just sort of what we're surrounded by. But these laws are in our heart and they flow out of our life and they're really not so much what we think of as laws, but righteousness that is like inbred in us that flows out by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it says... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And against these things, there's no law. So there's that righteousness that is part of the kingdom, like the law of the kingdom, the law of the land. Um, We learned that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness. He prays for the kingdom to come and teaches his disciples to pray that way, too. When he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm skipping down. Um, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Um, So Jesus tells us to pray for his kingdom to come. And what does that look like? Well, he goes on to say, on earth as it is in heaven. So we know that in heaven, the kingdom has fully come, it's fully invested, it's fully there. But on earth, we're to pray for that kingdom to come so that things on earth are set in place the way they're set in place in heaven. And that's kind of hard for us to wrap our mind around, all this stuff. Then finally, we're told to seek the kingdom before everything else. Including, and this is interesting, we are told to seek the kingdom. And the context of that is before food to eat and clothes to wear. I don't want to be naked. (laughs) I don't want to be starving. So we're told to seek that kingdom before everything else in the whole world. There's nothing we're to seek before we seek his kingdom. And that really goes against our nature too, especially because have you ever heard about the that um oh <laughs> well, that I wasn't going to get that deep, but yes, but that struggle for survival like it's have you if you've ever seen people, they will try their hardest to hold on to life, and so it's very- con, you know confusing to us to think of seeking the kingdom first, so um some people think they're members of the kingdom of God, but they're not. the Bible says that In Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And then I want to end, um, before I show you, I'm going to show you some things from the slide. Um, The story of the centurion, and we just talked about that, you know, I mentioned that, how the centurion came to Jesus and he said, hey, my servant is sick. And Jesus says, Oh, okay, I'll go with you. And he says, No, you don't need to, because I'm a centurion. I tell people what to do. And if I say go, they go, and if I say come, they come. And if I say jump, they say how high? I'm paraphrasing. And um, so Jesus, so Jesus says, He says, just say the word Jesus, and my servant will be healed. So Jesus says, Okay, your servant is healed, go in peace. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, I have never seen such faith in Israel. And he was talking about the understanding of how authority works. You know, and we were talking about that in terms of healing. We're talking about that in terms of life. But um, he says this. Now, Jesus heard this. He marveled and said to those who were following Truly, I say to you, I've not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I'm so glad Jacob made it. But the sons of of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment." As Jesus proclaimed the kingdom, he was healing every kind of diseases and sickness. So the reason I brought that up is because there is a sense about authority when we talk about kings and kingdom. And the centurion understood that Jesus had an authority that was greater than his own. And he knew his own authority. Some, some of us, if I were to ask you, what authority do you have? You would not know. And I hope tonight you'll leave knowing a little bit more about that. But as Jesus proclaimed the healing kingdom, he was healing every kind of disease and sickness. Jesus was going through, and this is um, Matthew 9, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness. So part of this kingdom is healing. Part of this kingdom is driving out demons. Part of this kingdom is the gospel and teaching. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he told them to preach the kingdom. He said this, Matthew 10, 7, As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'm going to stop here because I could go on and on through the book of Matthew. And just this is just, I'm in chapter 10. And that's a lot, isn't it? I skipped some, but that's a lot about this kingdom. And why was Jesus so busy talking about a kingdom? Because he is a king. And what makes someone a king? They have a kingdom. And that is a place where they rule and they reign. And the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is on the throne and his rule and reign is in place. So when we extend the kingdom, we extend the rule and reign of Christ. So I want to introduce you to some kings and their kingdoms. So go ahead, Marielle. This is King Willem Alexander. He is the king of the Netherlands. His mother is a little bit older and she abdicated so he could take the throne that's his wife maxima and you can see his kingdom it isn't a really it isn't a really huge kingdom do you guys want to come over here to just see this part of it you don't have to but this is the kingdom of the netherlands up there and you can see that's germany that's just a little tiny bit of europe so it's not like a huge huge it's not like a huge huge kingdom but it isn't bad you know it's not bad he has three daughters. His oldest daughter is the crown princess, and when he dies or abdicates, his oldest daughter will take the throne. I'll go ahead. This is King Harold of Norway. He and his wife are both eighty. They're still on the throne. That is his crown prince. That is the kingdom of Norway. It's a pretty, pretty cold place. It's um, you can see it's it's you know like not huge. It's not as big as the United States, but um, this is their royal family. And we're going to talk about that later. That is for their birthday party, and that's their royal family. Okay, next. This is King Carl of Sweden. And he. Th- there you see Sweden right next to Norway. And interestingly, these first three kings are all part of what's called a constitutional monarchy and that means that they're mo- almost more figureheads they have the royal blood they have certain you know symbolic type of responsibilities but they don't have any real power to tell people what to do but people are very respectful to them they they definitely have a role in keeping the atmosphere of the nation, and um, and of course, all of these are kingdoms. They're called the kingdom of Den- you know the kingdom of Sweden and things like that because they have a king. Go ahead, Muriel. Now this is King Hans Adam of Liechtenstein. He is the wealthiest monarch in all of Europe. His country is so tiny. It's this little tiny dot. But he is the wealthiest king, and he doesn't believe, he believes that Christ, that kings should be elected by the people. They shouldn't just be in office, you know, unless they have the people's support. Um, and he kind of bases that. He's a Christian. He bases that on David, who the people said, yes, we will take him as our king. So he had the the... Their legislator, le- legislature, do two things. One, increase his role so that he actually does have power in the government. And number two, um, the legislator can cut him off as king. They can he, they can say we don't want you anymore. So, but so he has more power than all those others. This is the kingdom of Liechtenstein. However you say it. And, um, and he, you know, he, he's very, very wealthy. He also has veto power. That's one of his governmental roles. And they're about to pass, a, you know, not pass. They're about to vote on whether abortion will be legal in Liechtenstein. And he has said if it passes, he will use his role to veto it. So he will use his power against the will of the people to do what is Right. So interesting, right? Okay, next. This is King Juan Carlos and his son, King Felipe. Now, how is that possible? Well, he's actually not the king yet. Next week, King Juan Carlos is going to turn over the crown to his son so that his son can take his place. He's old and he's been sick, and the duties are becoming too much for him. So interestingly, the people voted that he will keep his title as king. So when the queen queen of uh, the Netherlands gave her throne to her son, Wilhelm, she became a princess, and she's no longer a queen, or she's the queen mother. Maybe she's the queen mother. But he will still be king, and then the son will be King Felipe. And this is Spain, and that is their kingdom. Okay, next. This is King Salman of Saudi Arabia. He has 200 sons. This is his kingdom. The constitution of Saudi Arabia is the Quran. He has complete unlimited authority in his, um, in his country. There are a thousand princes and probably a thousand more princesses because they don't just have one wife. And so, all, now this is a relatively new country. This country actually became a country after, right before World War II. So between World War I and World War Two, Saudi Arabia, wait a minute, I take that back, they were a country, but, Everything changed. That They brought in a new royal family. So all of these 1,000 princes are all from that time. Like, these are not princes from, you know, way, way, way back. Well, the crown prince. He, dis- he chooses one of his 200 sons. He has 200. Now, he does whatever he wants. Sometimes he obeys the Koran, and sometimes he doesn't he has absolutely unlimited power so he's definitely 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 a dictator when he tra- <laughs> the last time he travels he traveled with 1500 tons of stuff because he brought two mercedes <laughs> anyway i won't go into it go ahead next okay this is the king of Thailand. He's a brand new king. He became king in 2016. The nation, and this is the kingdom of Thailand, the nation, see where it is in Asia? Down here near Vietnam and Bhutan and uh, all of those. So he, his dad w- was very loved by the people, his dad and mom. And his dad passed away in 2016. He has spent his life as a playboy. He has three, he's had three wives, he's divorced right now, and he's actually dating the queen of the Philippines, believe it or not. How weird. He has completely ignored the constitution since he became king, and he has taken a lot of power that doesn't necessarily constitutionally belong to him. So people are very upset, but they're also very scared of him. So that is a little kingdom, but it's a kingdom to watch because who knows what's going to happen next. Go ahead. So this is your king, Jesus, and his dominion, his kingdom includes the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth, and then heaven. And he rules over all of it. He is a, dictator he is a supreme ruler no one else rules but him but he is absolutely submitted to his constitution which is the word of god he is not a figurehead he is doesn't allow people to vote him in or out he is king forever he will reign forever And we choose to be part of his kingdom. However, in one way, we basically choose one day to be removed from his kingdom and go to hell. Because until that judgment day, Jesus has all authority over heaven and earth. Even though for a time, Satan is allowed to buffet and tempt and things like that. His reign has already been crushed on the cross. He has no real authority, only by lying, stealing, killing, and destroying. And so, this is your king, and he is absolutely perfect in every way. His word is the law, he does what he says he'll do. He keeps his promises. He's not running around, making bad choices, because his life is absolutely perfect and holy. And so in the kingdom, we can know if, if anything happens, we just look at him as our example, and we know what to do and what to say. Go ahead, Mariel. These are royal families. This is the royal family of Denmark up there. This is the royal family of England. This is the royal family of Sweden. This is the royal family of Japan. You never hear about the king and queen of Japan anymore because, you know, after World War II, they're on the down low. That is the king of Saudi Arabia with his 200 sons. So what is it about a royal family? And, And what... What, what is different about a royal family? When you are raised in a royal family, you are set apart and different. Now, in the last maybe 50 years, many royal families in Europe have allowed their children to go to schools. They're not like your average schools. <laughs> you know, they're very elite and very private and very prestigious. Um, you, if you're a man and you're in the royal family, you have to serve in the military, all future kings serve in the military and they don't just wear those decorated, you know, like our presidents, most of our presidents until Clinton served in the military. I don't, I think FDR, no, I think FDR served. Lori and I were looking that up one day and um, I think all of them were in the military except for um, Clinton and then, um, Obama, of course, has not been and Trump. So they become commander of the military without any background. but that's not true of a king. A king actually serves, he actually goes into battle, he goes you know into if he's in the Navy, he goes out on the ship and I mean, a Crown prince. Um, the other thing is that you are trained from a very early age, of a certain way to dress, a certain way to behave, a certain way to speak, to interact with people, because at all times, in all places, you do not represent yourself. You represent the kingdom. You are part of the royal family of. If you notice, the little children... Um, The little children are taught to wave and be friendly and smile because they're told. I mean, you can read like some of Victoria's writings. They're told, these are your your people. We take care of them. There's a sense of love, a sense of care for the people in their kingdom. Um, Interestingly, there's like a dress code where it it, just take a look sometimes. Just Google royal families and see what they wear on their nails see what kind of clothing they wear. Very, very interesting. And some of, I mean, you always have the bad, the bad boy and girl ones, but for the most part, you know, they eventually toe the line. And there's very few. Most of them are not like that. But something else is different. If you are of royal blood, you are of royal blood because of your blood because of your bloodline, who you're descended from, and the DNA that is in you makes you royalty. So it's not a position that you earn. It's a position that you're born into. And even though we're Americans and we're not part of a kingdom and we don't have a king, how is it that our hearts thrill to the stories? of Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty, and Snow White. And those stories where just this... Now, Sleeping Beauty was a princess, but Cinderella, and Snow White was a princess too. But Cinderella was just a commoner. And here, her prince comes and falls in love with her and takes her into the palace, and it is as if she had that royal bloodline. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He's taken us in to his kingdom, and he's given us his blood that is of the royal bloodline. He is the crown prince. He has become the king. He has triumphed over the enemy, and we are safe in his kingdom. And I think when we can have that mentality that, you know, Paul put it like this, I implore you as an ambassador of Christ. But the truth is, Paul could have said, I implore you as a royal prince. That's what he could have said. Because we, on this earth, are the royal family of Jesus. And everybody is watching us. Are we going to say hello? Are we going to touch our pearls and wave? Are we going to carry that dignity that comes with being part of the royal family? And, you know, for those people in those pictures and all the others I left out, they were taught those things and trained in those ways. But Jesus puts his Holy Spirit in us, who is so sometimes dignified, sometimes very fun. But Jesus in his spirit within us, he makes us to be that dignified representation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so, you know, when we worship and we are bowing, we're kneeling down, we are, we are reminding ourselves He is the king. He is the king of all kings. And I just thought it would be helpful for us because to just sort of get a glimpse of earthly kings, because we really don't see much of earthly kings. We really don't, and we really don't think about it at all. But I just want to encourage you, anytime you see a picture of a princess or a king or a queen, ask the Lord to show you something about that situation. That will help you further understand that he is our king. And we are that royal priesthood, that nobility, that royal family that represents him to the world. And um, that's such a privilege. It's not scary. I don't say that so you say, oh, well, now I have to get my act together. Because it's him in us doing that. But it's so exciting. And I think it should, in your mind, elevate how you view yourself. Because you are not trash. You have been brought into the royal family. And you have been set in place. And you have an office and a position. And you have a ministry. And it's very interesting that they call... You know, people in the government, ministers, like the minister of finance, and the minister of that. And it it does go back to scripture because a lot of the things in place with the royal family are based. Royal families, especially in Europe, are based on scripture. They go back to scripture. So this is what I encourage you. In view of the fact that Jesus Christ is our king, seek his kingdom first. And let him as the king and the provider and the absolute authority in your life meet and bless and take care of everything else.